All right. I did not think that today was going to be the last day of my life. But that's where I found myself last spring, early in the morning. Typically, every morning I'll go up, I'll get up around 5.45 in the morning, and I'll go running. And our house will go running from my home to the Alico building and back, and that's a good morning. This morning, I said, let's do something different, and I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have done it. I should have kept to my, my, my routine. I said, instead of running across the bridge, instead of running across the river, let's run alongside of it. And that's where I almost lost my life. You may be wondering, if I, if I ran across a, a group of robbers uh, who tried to jump me, it, it was actually much, much worse than that. You may be, may be concerned that at that early in the morning, maybe cars didn't see me and I almost got hit by a car, it was far more menacing than that. As I was running down the river, along the meanest, most fierce goose I've ever seen. Have you seen these geese? These, these goosen? These, these goxen? I don't know how you pluralize it. All right, have you seen them? They are terrible. They are evil. Now, now... Okay, so here's what's happening. I'm, I'm running, uh, I'm at, a, at, a, at a, a medium-sized jog, we'll call it that. And I'm running, and I'm about 50 yards away from this goose, and I realize it's not moving. It's just sitting there like it owns the place. <laughs> like this is its pathway. And I'm like, I'm just going to keep running, and it's going to waddle away like a normal animal. And so at 50 yards, I'm running. Okay, uh, 30 yards, it's still sitting there. I'm like, hmm, okay, that's interesting. Uh, uh, at 25 yards, nothing. At about 20 yards away, the goose gets up and starts sprinting towards me. <laughs> Just imagine yourself at this po point in life. Like, what would you do? So I'm running, and it gets up, and it starts running at me. This is at 20 yards. And then at 10 yards away, it starts hissing. Did you know geese hiss? It was like, <laughs> oh, okay, imagine yourself. This is it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is it. This is do or die. This is how I die. It's from this, this goose. And so <laughs> at five yards away, I'm like, this is happening. And something came over me, like, like what you see and you hear in stories where, like, a boy is trapped under a car and someone comes along and they, they, they come with these, you know, um, superhuman strength to lift the car, like, this came over me. Something animalistic came over me. And, and I was just like, this will to live, to not be killed by a goose. And I just yelled, ah! This is at 5.45 in the morning. <laughs> and, then, and I go, let's go! And I'm just like, I am like, what am I going to have? And so then the goose at, at five yards then runs away. And it's like, stupid goose. <laughs> he knew it was going to happen. But what would have happened if he didn't run away? What was I actually going to do to the goose? <laughs> was I really going to do something like that? But I, I, I just I went into this rage mode. I have, I have never, ever, ever felt that much anger and rage <laughs> and fear uh, <laughs> all wrapped into that moment. And it suddenly came over me. And I, I just realized, like, okay, maybe I have issues with birds. Um, first, it's roosters. <laughs> and now it's geese. Um, but really, it's just anything with talons or, or large beaks uh, I have issues with. And, and yet, 
As much as I loathe geese and roosters, they are ultimately glorifying God far more than I am on a daily basis. They are living out their creation and doing what God had intended them uh, to be. And so today we're getting into creation. We're, we're getting into the days of creation. And, and, and to do that, I think it's helpful to, to think about it in, in the terms of the singer and the song. And that's the title of the sermon today, The Singer and the Song. Uh, but before we talk about the song or the singer, we need to talk about its genre. I think genre um, is an important thing to talk about because if you're talking about music, are we talking about hip-hop or are we talking about pop? Are we talking about rock? Are we talking about country? Are we talking about bluegrass or metal? You know, if you went to a Kendrick Lamar concert and the Foo Fighters opened up for them, you might be a little confused. I mean, what would you say? I mean, I would say, this is awesome. <laughs> this is divine intervention. <laughs> I love both of these groups. But you might be like, well, okay, Dave Grohl's screaming seems to mess with K-Dot's you know, layered rhymes. Okay, so the, the genre, what typically happens when, when groups tour together, they tour with people within their genre. And so similarly, um, as, as, we, as we come to God's word here, if you go to Genesis, expecting it to be one genre and find out it's another, it can be alarming. And so take, for example, if you were to read the book of Revelation literally, and you get maybe a little bit freaked out by that book. Um, if, if you read the book of Psalms literally, then it just changes how you read phrases like, your word is a lamp unto my feet. That makes that very different of a meaning in that text. So some, some say that this first chapter is written like a history account. It is written like, like Luke did in the book of Acts, where he was recounting all that happened. Right? Luke is, is writing a historical account to recap what literally happened like a forensic report. And so in that case, you want to be as detailed as possible. You want to explain how everything happened and, and what happened. But if, and so if we look at Genesis as it's written that way, well, then that, what that means is then creation happens in a literal six-day, 24-hour period. And those who hold this view would say that the earth is 6,000 years old. Now, those who might argue with people who hold this position uh, would say, well, science says that the earth is 4.5 billion years old. Are you going against science? Uh, and they would say, well, of course, dating methods say the earth is 4.5 billion years old. Couldn't God create an aged earth? When God created Adam and, and Eve, did Adam have to wait three years for the tree to sprout up and to give an apple? Or, or did, did he create it already fully formed and fully aged? And so they, they would answer that, that, you know, that the chicken came first, not the egg. And so God creates earth that's inhabitable, and that's all compatible with current science. Or they might say the way that we know what we know through radiometric dating is flawed, okay? So this is, this is one, one way of viewing it. However, there's another way of viewing this genre that's in Genesis, in Genesis 1 in particular. It isn't so much that it's a history account as much as it is poetry. And in poetry, you can describe something that is real and true, but in poetic and artistic ways. And so it makes me think of that great song, Killing Me Softly With His Love. 
is she singing that someone is literally murdering her with a song? I hope not. That would be weird, right? So this is not what's happening, but the, but the songwriter is saying that there is a very real truth that wrecked the listener while listening to this song, and that as they heard it, it was killing her, wrecking her. So the, the poetry covers a deep, deep and real truth. And so it appears as when we look at the book of Genesis, uh, in Genesis 1, with, with these repetitions and these refrains that are going on in, in Genesis 1, that there's this poetic bent to it. There seems to be a pattern of let there be and there was, where God creates and then he describes what he created at the end of each day, and then he says, and it was good. And so the, the creation account almost has a cadence, almost has a rhythm to it, and it seems more in line with Hebrew poetry. And so in poetry, you can describe an event accurately, but the goal isn't cold, hard facts as much as how it makes you feel. And so in Luke 1, you have the angel who visits Mary to, to, to give news of this, this Savior to come, describing exactly how it happened. But then you have Mary's response to that event in her Magnificat, which is about a true and real event, but it's her song, it's her poetry after that. And so what we're not, what we're not saying, don't hear what I'm not saying, we're saying that Genesis 1 is real, it is powerful, it's not myth, it's not a once upon a time fairy tale, t tale. it's poetry is the purpose here. It, it's not true hard facts, it's it, this isn't mythology or a nice story, it, but it's just not an, a detailed account. There are just too many questions of how God created the world if it's supposed to be that. And so Genesis 1 is not designed to tell you in minute detail exactly how God created the universe. It just says that he spoke it into existence. And so it's not written to tell you how, but why. And so within this view, this poetic view... We, we could say, you could still say that God created the world in six literal days, 24 hours. But also within this view, you could say something like 2 Peter 3.8 that says, With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. And so what's the answer? Is it literal? Is it not? It appears poetic, but is, is it this exactly how God created? We're, we, I would say you're asking the wrong question. It's like going to Eric Clapton's song, Tears in Heaven, and asking him to explain how his son actually died. I'd say, one, that you're asking the wrong question. Two, that's rude to ask him that. <laughs> Three, you're, you're missing the, the, the heart of that song, the, the pain that is coming out in here. And so let, I think... We need to make sure that there is not a rift that comes between good and smart Christians on either side of this issue. Let's not create a rift. You can hold both truths. You, you can also create a rift of between you know, science and the Bible and have like this cultural war going on. And I would just say, let's not do that. I think these things work together. There are some Christians who need to be more honest about the limits to what we can state. And there are some scientists who need to be honest about the limits of what we actually can study. And so our God is big enough to handle all of this. <laughs> he's, he's big enough to handle all of this. He, he's not concerned about what, what new scientific study comes out. It actually should end up proving what we're reading here. And so, and yet, if we hold this poetic view, 
we still hold to what we confessed earlier today when Malcolm went through the liturgy. Because regardless of what view you, you hold to, to be orthodox, we need to affirm these couple things. That one, God did it in six days, however many days that, 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 that turns out to be, out of nothing and all very good. These are, what, these are the basic things that, that, that our confession of faith asks us to, to hold to, to be orthodox. So what the Bible says is true. And yet within orthodoxy, there's a wide variety of beliefs here. But what is clear is that God did it in six days, out of nothing, and all very good. That's what's clear from Scripture. And so we want to major on the majors in Scripture. And within the genre of music or poetry as our backdrop, um, I want us to look at the song. As, as we look at God's creation or the, his song, what we hear is just a beautiful, beautiful story. A beautiful, beautiful melody that is so well structured and formed that there is so much thought and care poured into it. And, and the first three days, the way God creates, he creates these realms. And then the second set of three days, he fills those realms. And so the first three days, he, 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 creates, he creates, in verse 3, let there be light. And then, in day, and then in day four, he installs those lights with the sun and the moon and the stars. And then verse 16 says, God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. And so there's this pattern that day one is like the, the first part is like the news headline. And then the next day is, is like the paragraphs under the news headline, un understanding what he was doing in those creation. And so just so we're clear, that, that little paragraph under the, the, the news headline is just God showing off. Like, look at these, these tiny little dots in the sky that, that seem like nothing to us, that look like little baby stars, and they appear weak in comparison to our almighty sun because those stars are so far away. But remember, our sun, with how awesome it is, and it's giving us warmth right now, how awesome it is, it's kind of an average star. Our sun is kind of meh, right? It, it, is, it is an average star in comparison to these other giant stars, these, these, the red giants like Betelgeuse, just monstrous stars that just make this sun right here is pale in comparison. And then many other solar systems have multiple stars or multiple suns in it. We just have one. Right? So we're kind of missing out on some of this other stuff. But why is it all there? It's, it's just background music to God's song. These other planets, as, as far as we can tell, are just God showing off. For us to just explore and see God's artistry. Then on day two, God says in verse six, and God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. And so there's these in the ancient times, they, they, they saw that there was this vault in heaven, this, this dome that separated the waters in the sky from the waters on the earth. And that may have been true that there was more of a dome because the amount of water that had to come down to fill the earth for a giant flood, that may be God letting the earth just have all of this water, right? This, this, this different people's thinking of how that might have happened. But there is this splitting. What's clear here is God is splitting the waters in half, above and below, and he creates these realms of the sky and all of its rain clouds. 
and in the water below. And then on day five, remember, God makes the realms, these, these vaults, and then he populates them. And then in the, and he fills the sea and the sky. And so in verse 20, God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. And so teemed with living creatures, God in his creative acts makes sea turtles, hammerhead sharks, swordfish, blue whales, dolphins with all their playfulness and brilliance, Japanese spider crabs, clownfish, seahorses, that creepy little fish with the light in the front. He makes all of these things. And so God is just this musician, just putting out hit track after hit track. Everything is brilliant. And then after filling the seas, God fills the skies with every winged bird. And so that's everything that flies, any bird or insect. And so sadly, yes, he creates geese and roosters, but he also creates bald eagles and peacocks and pterodactyls and honeybees. I don't know why he creates mosquitoes, but he does. And I'm, but I am glad that he creates hummingbirds. Those things are gorgeous to see the way they fly. It's a thing of beauty. And then on day three, God gathers the water to one place, and he says, let the dry ground appear. And maybe this is Pangea. Maybe this is one land that, that, that gets separated. In verse 10, he calls this land. And then verse 11, then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees in the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And so at this point, God is now creating redwoods and Bermuda grass, bonsai trees, arugula, sunflowers, bamboo, blood oranges, boba, <laughs> right? He's created all of these things by the word of his power. On day three, he's creating all of this. But what about weeds? Does God create weeds? No, that's part of the fall, along with poison ivy. That's a part of the fall. Are those from God? Not at all, along with skunks and killer hornets. We'll get to the fall in a couple weeks. Now, on day six, he fills the creation with animals and then humans. And we're going to save that discussion for a couple weeks down the road. We're going to talk about humans separately. Um, but after creating the, the vault or the realm of land uh, and all its vegetation, now God creates these land animals. He creates lions and lambs and tigers and giraffes and elephants and cats and dogs and cute pandas and squirrels and snow leopards and hedgehogs and Pikachus. Not Pikachus. And <laughs> Maybe he does. <laughs> he gave someone the idea for that. God creates all of these things according to its kind. The text says that he's, he's creating these things and then they recreate themselves, but he creates them according to their kind. And then we recreate. And so what we're seeing here is, yes, there, there may be some changes here on earth. There may be some growth and adaptations and, and some microevolution. But the picture is God creating all things in their different categories, in all of their glory. And get this. This song is sung before the fall. I think this is really important for us to see that this this song of creation is, is sung before evil creeps into the world and corrupts everything god is singing this song of creation and so so god is just in his playground or in his studio just being creative and it says let's add a bird that that can swoop up fish into its mouth Let, let's create sloths and cheetahs and and i want them all to roam the earth forever 
because it was before the fall, meaning this was God's original intention. Had we not sinned, had Adam and Eve not sinned or never corrupted this world, never let death enter, they would have lived into eternity and we would have lived into eternity as is. This was our future. And for everyone who's ever asked the question, do all dogs go to heaven? Genesis 1 is telling you a resounding yes. Very clearly, some dogs go to heaven. <laughs> there are some ones that are a little more yapping um, that, that don't go to heaven. I'm sorry about that. But Tonks, boys, Tonks goes to heaven. Dory, your dog will go there. I saw a few dogs here. Uh, we think they're going to heaven. <laughs> but if you bring your dog in like a, 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 a little sack into the grocery store, that dog will not go to heaven, nor will you. Um, I apologize. But <laughs> I'm sorry. Obviously, I'm joking. In, in all seriousness, the doctrine of creation shows us how God's creative, just his creative artistry, and we, we can just appreciate it. But, it. but it also tells us something about the way God intended the world to be, to operate, and how it will become one day. And so creation is this, it's this pointer, uh, and that leads us to our last point, that, that, that song tells you something about its singer. The song tells you about the singer. And so uh, the beauty of creation and even the beauty of how God creates in this, this orderly way. Or you could even talk about how, how far the earth is from the sun so that if we were a couple inches closer, we'd all burn up. A couple of inches further, we would all be so cold, right? That, that, that the fact that God kept the temperature of earth at just the right temperature that we can survive on this rock, it, I mean, it's just it's a, a thing of beauty. But that looks miserable. <laughs> I'm glad he put us here. But God's creation, the laws of creation, gravity, all of the expressions of God's beauty are there intended to give us an expression of who God is. Just as if, if someone handed you a watch, you'd, by the intricacy of it, you would understand a little bit about that watchmaker. This highly intelligent design of our universe speaks, as Psalm 19 says, as we said in our call to worship, or shouts of God's fingerprints over it. And so when you see schools of fish that just, that just move in formation, I mean, it's glorious. And you say, that is beauty. That is beautiful. That is telling me someone, something created it in this beautiful way. Or when you, see, when you see birds just soaring on the wind, and they don't even have to flap, and you're like, they are doing what God intended them to be. They are worshiping God in that moment. This is, this is a beautiful, beautiful thing that, that points us to a designer. And so what creation tells us is there is a designer, and that designer has a design for his creation. And so if a fish jumps out of water onto dry land, it instantly knows its designer had a different intention for it. It wasn't made to be on dry land. God created it for water. And this is what C.S. Lewis uh, talks about when he says the first qualification for judging any piece of workmanship from corkscrew to cathedral is to know what it is and what it was intended to do. So if I asked you if I had a butter knife up here and said, is this a good butter knife? Well, do you use it to cut butter would be a helpful thing to know. No, I actually use it to carve wood. It doesn't, doesn't work that well, or to chisel stone. It's, it's not great because it's not going to what I, we intended it to be. You wouldn't get anywhere. When we see 
is we have a creator who created all these plants and animals with a specific design. You take a polar bear and put it in the Texas summer, that's going to be rough. You put a tiger on a boat that goes a little bit differently than a tiger in the jungle. Richard Parker doesn't do well on a boat. You see, creation isn't free by ignoring its design, but by embracing it. So do you really want freedom? Find out what God made you for and embrace it. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. To go against the law of God is to go against yourself. And this is the wonderful thing about God's laws. They, they're not written to keep us from living our best life. And I think a lot of times we think of God's just holding out on us. That he's not letting us enjoy things. But what we see is if we go against our design, we break down. Because the singer wrote this song for you, that you have a purpose. Every sin that you think is a harmless act tears at the very fabric of reality. That It brings ruin and decay. And so the reason when we lie that it is called sin is because when we lie, it places a rift between you and those around you. It isolates us. It, 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 it makes us go against our nature. If you're a workaholic, we see this struggle all throughout America and in Waco and in myself. We sell our soul to the idol of success and productivity, and we cut off friendships. We ignore families. And so no wonder anxiety just grows. No wonder loneliness has gone up. The reason your body is breaking down is because you were made for a different rhythm. And so if we go against the law of God, we go against ourself. Why? Because the drumbeat of creation that is that this featured song in creation is that it is all good. Don't you hear that drumbeat all throughout creation? That it is good. Creation is good. Because after each day, Genesis 1 says, God saw it and it was good. Now imagine you just listened to a really good drum solo a really good guitar solo, or you watch a really good movie, or a really good Netflix series, and afterwards you just go, that was so, so good. Or maybe you ate one of those brownies, and you're like, oh gosh, that is so, so good. That is God's response to his creation. It is good. It is so, so, so good. He's appreciating it. This is like after sitting and hearing God show off for a 25-minute drum solo and saying, man, is he good. He made this. It's like walking through a Van Gogh exhibit and then saying, whoa, look at the detail and the artistry or the, the emotions that you get when you, when you experience what is good and right and true in this world. It's because our creator has made it good. That creation itself is good. And so we want to push against these two opposite errors that, that are always present with us throughout history. On, on, on one hand, we're not like the ancient religions uh, that believed that creation or matter was dirty. That creation was, was, was something to, to be denied. That, that the spirit world is all that matters. And so what these aesthetics would say is we need to, we need to deny and, and, and deny our, our, our banal, carnal ways of thinking and deny yourself, deny your impulses, 
And what we really need to do is live for the next world because this world is just a prison for the body. Let the spirit go free. So don't enjoy this world. Don't enjoy it. Don't have, don't, don't have fun. Don't also care for this world. Because one day, the spirit's going to soar into heaven, and this world just isn't going isn't to matter anyways. And yet, what we see in Scripture is that when God has made the new heavens, he also makes a new earth, and we get bodies again. <laughs> Flesh isn't bad. <laughs> if, if it was, God wouldn't have put it on himself. If this world was bad, then God wouldn't have stepped in and, and encased himself in flesh. And then when he dies and he rose again, he could have risen again without a body, but he chose to keep it so he would identify with you and me. So even to this day, Jesus has a physical body. To this day. And so we care about God's creation and our bodies because they're good and because Jesus cares about them. On the other hand, and so on one hand, you may have asceticism. On the other hand, we don't want to elevate creation to be something it's not. And so on one hand, you, you could say, oh, let's deny creation. On the other hand, you have materialism that wants to uplift creation and say, this world is all that matters. This stuff right, right here. Now, we're not just talking about just materials or from materialism, but all of this world, this modern culture, everything that's right here before me, this is all that matters. This is what's important. If, if, if I make any decision, it has to benefit me right here and right now. And I will make all of these decisions based, based on how does it help me in this time. What, do I, what am I going to get passionate about? Because that's going to affect right here, right now. What am I going to spend my money on or save my money for? Is it actually going to affect and benefit me now? Because who knows if there is even an afterlife? And so let's just eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die and we just become warm food. And so Christianity pushes against both of those things. Christianity reminds us, yes, this world is broken and we have deeper longings that can't be filled, but they can be filled from another world. And so the Christian doctrine of creation holds both that creation and the world is good. Sometimes it's great, but it's not everything. Holding both of these truths is really difficult. It is really difficult, but that's exactly what Jesus did. In John 3, 16, that famous verse, For God so loved the world, or the cosmos, from heaven above to earth below. God loved all of it and all of its inhabitants that he gave his only son. Don't you see how much God loves his people? He's doing everything he can to remake this world. And that's the story of the Bible. You have creation, you have fall, you have redemption, and then you have glory. God created all good. We mucked it up. God redeems us and brings us back to his original plan. And in heaven, it will all be good. Do you know that the end of every service that we have here at Mosaic, we have a benediction, which that word literally means good words. God, in his creation activity, has this, this liturgy himself. And at the end of each day, he has this benediction that it was good. And he speaks that over his creation. And after we sin, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And for the first time in history, a human being earned that benediction. 
Jesus earned, well done, my good and faithful servant. With you I am well pleased. And yet, out of great love for you and me, instead of getting that benediction, he got a curse. In fact, he got no words. When Jesus was up on the cross, as the soldiers in the crowds violated the design of creation by taking his life, when the climax of this rescue plan was being executed, as he was being executed, the son was for for all eternity past, had been in communion with the Father, had never known a time without that relationship. At that moment, Jesus got nothing from God. He got no words, no fellowship, nothing good at all, no communion with the Father, out of a great love for you and me. And if our God loves you and me at that level to give all of that up for us, if he loves his world, if he loves the birds and the fishes and the animals in the world that much, then we should too. And so when we see COVID ravaging the world, it should make us angry. When we, when we see the... The H HIV or cancer taking loved ones away, it should make us angry because this world matters. This world matters. It's at, these things are at odds with the laws of our universe. And when we sin, we are at odds with the laws of the universe. Whether it's veiled racism or whether it's our personal pet sins that we think don't affect anyone, the doctrine of creation is we can't keep letting these things tear at the fabric of reality and that we must fight for, our, for their life and for the beauty and the good of what God has made here and here, right here and now, because Christ has fought for you right here and now. May the beauty of God's song of creation and his creative design and purpose move you to care for this world and how we love people and animals and all of creation. May it move us to see the goodness of this world and not elevate it or not denigrate it, but to see it as good and worth fighting for. Because God fought for you. He died for you. He has a great, uh, immense love for you. Let's respond to that right here on this earth and in the world to come. Let me pray.